This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is January 8th. 2018. We're at CS and it's my birthday, at least for another hour or so. Woohoo! I get Happy to win. Ah, uh, thanks, Paul. My guest is here, uh, Paul Spain of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and also the founder of World Podcast, which is the wonderful company hosting my podcast. Thanks for being on. Ah, oh, it's my pleasure. It's, I know. Uh, it's, it's great to <laughs> catch up and hang out on a podcast in person. Sweet. So um, we're going to recap. CS so far, and you're going to say, why would we do that when technically it doesn't start till tomorrow morning? That's because a lot of people have this misconception that the media don't actually, um, you know, get involved until the first day, but we actually get involved two days before the show. We start on what I call day minus one, which is Sunday this year, and then Monday is day zero, also known as press day, which was today, which all the press conferences take place. And then, of course, uh, then we have day one tomorrow and day two until the end. And I'm actually not staying till the end of the show. Uh, so, Paul, what did you do mostly? You said you went to Unveiled and then you did some podcasts today. You went to Sony today. Yeah, so um, Unveiled is, is always a really interesting event because it, it tends to be the first thing that is open for media or the you know the first thing of of scale for media there was also uh, a tech trend session that CES put on before that and there are all sorts of other things that go on surrounding that are um yeah possible to go to but un- unveiled is interesting because you you just get anyone who is you know vaguely considered press and is uh uh, able to get a press badge for uh, for for CES. Yeah, as, it's an as official you know. CES event, and it's and it's actually every every year that I've come, and I haven't actually been the last couple of years, but it just it just seems to get more yeah, busier and more packed, and uh, you know more vendors there showing off their uh, their products. This year, one thing that stood out is it seems as though may, maybe the French government are putting some funding oh, in, yeah. into the French companies because there were so many French companies. And uh, so, the, yeah, that was uh, that was curious. And um, look, you know what what they had to show was you know was generally pretty interesting, uh, uh, pretty in- interesting too. Uh, in terms of things that that stood out for me, um, yeah, it's always hard to kind of pick. Well, what are the things here that are actually going to be uh, successful? Because you know they, they call it un- unveiled for a reason. There's a sort of unveiling of new products sometimes products that are uh yet to really be ready for market right yeah i mean let's talk about this a little bit because again remember our audience does not necessarily know how this works so what i want you to understand is this that so we we described the press pre-event days there are three kind of sub events within cs and one is actually an official CS event, and that's CS Unveiled, which took place on day minus one, which was Sunday, yesterday. And then today is an independent event that you don't actually have to have a CS badge to go. You have to have their own registration to go called Pepcom Digital Experience. And then tomorrow on day one of the show is a third show 
a sub show like this called um, Showstoppers. And that also does not require to have a CS badge, but it does require to have a registration with them. These three events are in the afternoon, evening of these three days consecutively and are basically kind of like shrunk down mini CSs within a C, uh, CES. And they are specifically around smaller companies usually, although there are some bigger ones, but they are for the media only and analysts only. So you're not going to get the you know the trade show type business folks there so it's geared for journalists and analysts to get content for their beat and that's what i like about them and you know you find a lot of innovation well relatively speaking i mean it varies from year to year and i felt that unveiled has grown a lot as you said and I, th I think there was some good stuff there yesterday. I actually, usually Pepcom is the one that really has substance, and I felt very disappointed with it tonight. Um, maybe it's because I'm tired, because it's been a long day, because I've attended, you've done podcasts, but I've attended press conferences all day. So, And we can talk about these press conferences. But I think it's really interesting to see how it evolves, and I'll be curious to see what we see at Showstoppers. But really nothing stood out for me at Pepcom. It seems that the general theme is... Um, security is very prominent, like a lot of like your water, your pipes might burst and we need to be able to warn you remotely and shut down your water supply. So that kind of security, but as well as, you know, security cameras, security, you know, devices. It's, it's, I think it reflects well on the state of the U.S. zeitgeist that we live in today with the current regime. And it's kind of fascinating. But a lot of it seems, you know, redundant to me. It's like, there's a, you, you don't need to put IoT and Wi-Fi and, and connectivity and smarts with quotes on everything. Like I always say the tea kettle is kind of the perfect example. It whistles when the water's hot. You will hear it. It would make more sense to have a stove that can be remote controlled in case you forget to turn it off or that can detect the whistle and shut off the burner than it does to have a smart kettle that sends notifications to your phone that already receives notifications from everything else in your house. And that's why I'm segueing into the other big, I think, thing I've noticed at CS so far, and that's Google Assistant. Like, Alexa kind of did it first in terms of IoT and controlling your home and controlling these devices, these connected devices, and that's the the, UI, the universal UI. You talk to the thing and it interfaces with everything. And I think that's what makes Alexa so compelling. It's not that it's Amazon. It's not that it's really that smart. It's actually not that good of an AI. But it's that it interfaces so many devices and becomes a universal remote. And you don't have to have a phone on you to do it. It's everybody can use it. It's like everybody knows how to use it. And so the big push this year so far seems to be for me at CS that Google, they even have a monorail with a big Hey Google uh, uh, decal vinyl on it, is that, you know, quote unquote, CS this year is, you know, Google Assistant all the things. Like every big TV that was launched, every big appliance that was launched, even smaller companies, everyone has Google Assistant baked in or and or Alexa. Or, or an, integra or an right. integration. And, and of course, you know, Samsung has Bixby and stuff. And then, you know, LG this morning announced ThinkQ, um, that, that brand that they've had for a while. They want to turn that into an AI brand. But to me, what's fascinating is that 
you know, we're, silent, we're finally seeing a huge marketing push from Google here. And, and the partners are following through. But what we're not quite seeing yet and I'm not quite sold on is, I'll give you an example. I have Zigbee light bulbs and a Zigbee hub. And it's not like a smart things hub, uh, which is a Zigbee hub, but it's, it's uh, an almond hub. And I love it because it's very modular and very open. But Alexa is the only thing right now that can control it. Um, I want, I'm not that invested in Alexa, but I'm very invested in the Google ecosystem and I want Google Assistant to control my lights. And the moment that, that bridge the gap with, with my hub, I'll be very happy. But that's not happening right now. And so the verdict's still out, even though all these devices have been announced that have the Assistant, the IoT wrapper part of it still doesn't seem to be there. And I want to see that happening because ultimately for me, Having the ability to both use Google Assistant as a good AI, which it already is, and Alexa isn't, but also as a controller, universal voice controller for all my IoT is the holy grail. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's been a, a lot of uh, issues with trying to have all our bits and pieces of technology work together well in the past. The sort of announcements that we've seen, you know, particularly today, uh, giving me confidence that things are going to work better together going I going forward, so. and there there does seem to be you know a, a lot of openness from you know, the the big players to work with both Google, um, yeah, Google and with uh, Amazon with 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 Alexa, and so there seems to be plenty of that. There are lots of new bits and pieces coming to fill in the gaps. So. You know, I'm reasonably hopeful, but the, you know, then there are also new products coming in, and there was a uh, a new assistant that uh, that I saw yesterday at uh, un- unveiled had a little screen. I'm trying to remember its name. You may uh, you may have seen it as, I didn't as see well. It. Um, and and talking to them, I was wondering where does this fit into the market? And they they highlighted to me they're looking to organise telco type relationships. So it has an embedded LTE in it, ah. uh, and this is the sort of thing that they might cut a deal with a you know with a really big carrier. Or you know, I think they're working on lots of lots of carrier arrangements. They're still a, a startup, sort of still reasonably early early stage from a funding perspective based out of uh, based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, but there, there were all manner of uh, uh, yeah, new products being shown off. There were smart shoes <laughs> that were that were kind of curious. The bit that stood out to me around the the idea of, of smart shoes because uh, what you were talking about to well, do we need technology and 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 this thing and that thing and in the, the kill and so on was that it was coming from a uh, a traditional shoemaker. Oh. And you know this Which was one? not a tech startup, so this was, was a, a, a Nike, French, uh, or Reebok, uh, Adidas. No, this was a French company, so another one oh. that probably had some you know government. I'm guessing some government or, or, or you know some funding to put them there. As an aside, there was a lot of French companies that unveiled yesterday. You're right, like an entire like two two aisles, and I think maybe that was you know some sort of their yeah, government connection. I mean, they do have a an R&D kind of like uh, promotional office at the French consulate in San Francisco. I know that. Um, it's interesting. But anyway, you know, you're right. I think that um, it's good to see, like, I think I like innovation. I want to see new things. I just sometimes feel like, you know, smartifying or connecting things for the sake of doing it is not necessarily the way to go. And and I think I want to see more selection, like, People be more selective, companies be more selective on how they do it and why they do it, 
rather than just blindly doing it, right? And, and you know, ultimately, I think this will happen. Right now, there's a lot of trial and error. And there's a lot of people that are just doing it for, because they know they can make a buck maybe doing it. Or because they're, you know, when I talk to some of these founders, as a journalist, I'm like, you know, have you left your office any time in the last year? Because have you looked around out there? Because I don't see anybody getting potentially excited about this product. And I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. Like, there are some products. I know there's, you know, different strokes for different folks and stuff. But like there are things I'm like, no, nobody wants this. This does not need to exist. And that's my point. And, you know, in the past few years, we've seen a lot of that. And I'm, I'm afraid to say that we saw a lot of that unveiled and at, and at, uh, and at Pepcom tonight. Um, Pepcom- and that will continue to be the case, I think, at, you know, at these shows. And in some ways, this is a chance for those companies to put something out in front of an audience. And maybe they should be working that out, how to do that better before putting it out. But they put it out. Do we get attention from the media? Do we get attention from the public? You know, maybe somebody, uh, you know, shares it on social and they get some feedback that they, they weren't expecting and they make a pivot. But, you know, I think this is actually part of now, possibly part of the innovation process for for some companies right. and the validation process. Yeah, yeah, they process. need to validate it for sure. So you know, I, I'm I'm I, okay with that, but but certainly some time, of them you you do chuckle at and uh, and wonder why they're spending spending money uh, turning up at these shows and and developing these products. My concern is that you know using CS for validation is I don't think it's a good strategy, and you know I do consulting around this stuff, and I think the reason for that is because. You know, we are bombarded as journalists at CS with with this stuff, and it makes it much harder for us to to you know we get jaded and worn out. It gets it gets much harder for us to really pick out the things that stand out because we don't get to see everything because we're pressed on time and there's so much stimulation. And as such, I'm kind of you know of a belief that perhaps we should really just like be out at CS as a company as a startup. Once things are actually at a state of being like ready, you know, more or less. So like a bit more consumer ready. To me, you know, that's the stuff you do, you know, with crowdfunding or, you know, you go out there and you do market research. Although I don't believe in market research. I think generally the best idea is people have no idea they really need it. And sure. so, you know, it's a bit contradictory with what I said earlier. But I really do believe that's true because if you talk to, you know, uh, people who have obviously worked with uh, Apple over the years, you know, there's a lot of products that have come out of that company that, you know, we didn't think we uh, we needed, but then now we have and we love. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, and I mean that, and and Apple and Steve Jobs have certainly sort of taken you know quite a quite a position, you know, on that. I think yeah, other companies take different approaches in terms of how they. They develop and, and innovate and improve, improve their products, and uh, yeah, there's always going to be different different approaches. And yeah, I I mean, as long as we keep seeing good stuff at these shows, I, th- I think it's yeah. good. But but I, I do take your point, and certainly looking at uh, un- unveiled yesterday compared to the first time I I went, which was you know, maybe six or seven years ago. That was a, uh, certainly a smaller, uh, smaller gathering. You know, less uh, exhibitors, less uh, media, and 
you know, I think you'd probably get around everything without too much problem. But but now it's absolutely nuts. I mean, I didn't even see you see you last night. Uh, Tom Merritt, whose show I was on earlier on today, uh, he mentioned that he that he saw you sort of in passing, but didn't get a chance to you know actually t- uh, talk to you. Him, there were a whole lot of people that I was expecting, and I'm sure were there uh, that that I didn't see. I mean, uh, so yeah, your your ability to actually see. Everything it's you know it's impossible for I mean, one, one person now. Unveiled was particularly massive. Unveiled was traditionally the first of the three, and and the smaller one, the one that was a little bit more curated by the CEA, the people who put together CS. And in a way, I kind of regret that it's no longer like that because honestly, it was as big, if not bigger, than a Pepcom or Showstoppers. Pepcom has always been the biggest, and usually because of that, the most rewarding to cover because you find good stuff. But tonight was disappointing. I didn't really find that there was much going on there. A lot of it was repeat from Unveil as well. Um, and then the big brands were there, which was good. But, you know, do you really need a Lenovo at Unveiled when they have a booth and they have a press conference? I don't, I never understand that. It's it's odd to me. Well, I think that they just want as much interaction with media as possible. Uh, I mean, I've, I actually have found it good having some of those bigger firms like uh, HP and, and Lenovo at those things because I don't get necessarily get time to get to yeah. their stand and they have different people that are uh, available to interact with True. the media. But uh, that said, you've got all these other other things to see, but they just want as much coverage as possible. So I, I guess that's uh, – <laughs> uh, and they, they can certainly strategy. afford to be, yeah. be, it, be it yeah. everything if they want to. <laughs> It's an interesting strategy. So speaking of other uh, things, I mean, now that you know, we've kind of explained it all to you guys, uh, to you folks on the on the on the show, how these three mini events, sub events of CS. There's also obviously the main CS show, and that starts tomorrow, Tuesday, and that's where you know, like the Samsung has a booth at the side of like half or even probably a full football field, and LG and Samsung compete with the best booth, and it is. It's 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 something to behold. You have to see it once in your life. And the public actually on the last day of CS, I believe, can get in uh, at a really low price, like forty or fifty dollars. I can't remember the details. They might have changed this now, but it used to be the case. In, if you're ever in Vegas for CS and you're not in the business, you give you you know do yourself a favor to go to CS and check out these massive booths. Like uh, Sony has one, and like you know all the big Intel, Qualcomm, etc. And of course, that happens for you know four days, and then. Um, but we also had all these press conferences yesterday, day minus one, and well, a few of them yesterday, and today most of them. I spent my birthday really having the busiest day of the year for me in terms of of work, and probably the busiest day of CS. And I started with LG at eight in the morning. Um, and I didn't go to all the conferences that I was invited to, and I could go. I just kind of picked and chose. Um, and LG uh, was uh, showed like a whole breadth of appliances and TVs, not so much mobile devices, but um, and the the common theme was last year we told you all we would have Wi-Fi on all our devices and be IoT kit ready. This year we're adding AI functionality to it, and it, it was in this very typical kind of Korean mega company weirdness. In the sense that they were giving us examples like, you know, so, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're, the AI knows from your calendar that you just went to the gym. So uh, when, if, you, if you come home to get changed in your work, into your work clothes, 
obviously whatever laundry you're going to throw into the dryer or washer at that point is going to be your gym laundry so it'll know to pick the gym clothes program on the washer from you know interacting with your smartphone and then you know um these weird far-fetched scenarios that I never understood. And, and, and as an aside, because eventually I want to talk about the Qualcomm press conference, as an uh, sorry, the, the Samsung press conference, as an aside, I always find it interesting that, you know, these super high-end washers and dryers and fridges they sell, they, they obviously sell eventually, uh, that are like, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 for a fridge or, and $5,000 for a washer-dryer pair. To me, if you have that kind of money, you don't need a smart washer or dryer because you probably have a maid that uses your washer and dryer and doesn't care that it has any smarts or brains because they are the smart and they are much better at being in the smarts or brains at doing your laundry. And I hate to say this, maybe it's a kind of a weird view of the world, but you know, most people buy washers and dryers that don't have this functionality because they can't afford it. And they are probably the ones who need the automation more because they can't hire somebody to do their laundry. So I just don't, I can't wrap my head around that. You know, and then the other example, Samsung later on showed an example where you're in the car and, you know, you're reminded by the fridge that you're out of milk and uh, to buy some on the way home and it's you know you you you're not sure uh, how much you should buy so you tap on the on the console of your car and it it displays a live video st- or photo of the f- content of your fridge and you can oh see oh yeah the milk is low and i i, I guess the camera is right and i'm going to go buy like who does that it's never going to happen it's it's yeah it's so, i mean some some of these cases are are just bizarre and you know when when we look at you mentioned the washing machine and the dryer right well this is actually already automation right because these yeah. are automatic washing machines. Now, uh-huh. people that have been around long enough, and you know, I haven't, but you know, I've seen the the old uh, technology and old ways of doing washing. Well, you didn't just throw stuff into a machine and have it all no, handle it for I know. you. The, the 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 big load is actually being the hard work uh, of washing clothes is actually being done by the machine and has been now for you know decades, quite quite, yeah. a, quite yeah. a number of, of of decades. So you know we're now looking at those incremental things that can be done uh to to improve this and you know again you know the the dryer yeah it's the lazy option not or or the i'm you know time time poor so i'm not going to take the the washing and and hang it up somewhere i'm going to throw it into a into a machine that that takes care of the 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 job and that's the bulk of it and you yeah you can get a a low cost dryer that uh will dry it on a on a timer and you get one that costs a little bit more that'll turn it off once once it's ready and look, yeah, if you want to, if you want to spend, you know, however many X that, and get one that alerts you on your smartphone when it's done, sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a big leap, is it? Uh, or a, a huge advantage, probably for most people. It's it's interesting to me that these big Korean companies and some of them, some of the Japanese and Chinese companies too, are kind of like you know in the business of building hardware, these machines, these washers, these these fridges, and so they're trying to perfect them and improve them technologically so that they're smarter. And I'm, and they're doing a phenomenal job. I have an LG washer and dryer, not a high end one, a mid range one, and they're awesome. Like 
really like they weigh the load and they're able to know exactly how much water and how long the cycle and it tells you ahead of time how long it's going to run and the dryer can adjust based on the amount of humidity how much i mean it's phenomenal and it's great and that's useful to me and it's not too expensive but the connectivity part i don't get necessarily as a feature because what I think Korea is not seeing is what's happening in America and North America and I think in Europe in in the wealthy parts of North America and Europe which is people are farming out this stuff to third party companies not even hiring um, a maid they're actually hiring a laundry service I know so many people in San Francisco they don't do their laundry ever they don't even have a maid they get it all like it's all farmed out. Yeah, someone comes and picks it up. Yeah, it's yeah. done and, and so, it's dropped so back that, to you. So why would you need to even buy a washer and dryer? And so then what, certainly what, why spend five thousand dollars on it because it's connected and smart. So what we need is <laughs> is that uh, is that made robot then to run around to work out what's what's that bit of clothing that's on the floor? Does it need to be in the wash? Get it so done. So LG has a few domestic robots that I think are only available in Korea and Japan right now. And they're really cool and cute. And I have a thing for robots. So I'm kind of into it. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, one of them is a shopping cart robot. So it follows you around the store. And it has a barcode scan. Every time you put something in it, it scans it and adds it to your pile. And um, and then one of them is like, you know, uh, a porter robot for the hotel. And they're built, they're all based on the same platform, like the, the same kind of uh, motor module and the same, you know, display and, and voice and little head that pivots and talks to you. And then they have these payload parts where you can be like, you know, a hotel porter and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a shopping cart. And the other one is like the domestic version that, you know, can do basic things. But none of them have arms, so they can't really pick things up. And, and I think eventually we're going to get to that. But I think, you know, I'm not even sure that matters because, as I said, everything can be outsourced if you can find, you know, if it's, if it's in econo- like economically feasible and cost effective, you don't necessarily need machines to do it. We all know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, certainly there, there are lots of things that robotics will, uh, will take care of for us going oh, forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, even the mention of the, uh, the, the hotel porter. I think that's cool. Um, look. Yeah, I check in and out of lots, lots of hotels, and um, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of, um, yeah, probably quite a, quite a useful, no, no, useful I, I function. I see those, but I think for domestic robots, until you know, you, as you said, you can have one that literally can pick up, has an arm and can pick up stuff for you. It's not, you know, like I think the vacuum robots we have are useful. I think that there's, you know, uses for. Uh, other robots through the house that you know like for people who have disabilities maybe and need assistance i think a lot of that is have very valid but i'm not quite sure right now that most people need a unless it's like a humanoid with arms you well know. we seem to have a big gap and and at sony's press conference today we saw um abo of course, the new uh, right, right, and this is their new one. The first one was 1999 when uh, when when it was they first a dog. Sh- showed that, and this is this is a dog, and it's very cute, and you can talk to it, and you can you know rub it on its back and its head and under its chin, and it responds and gets to recognize family members. It'll bond more with those that spend more time with it. So you've got that at one end, and and then at the other end we've got the Boston Dynamics technology, oh, yeah, the, which is it's just creepy. Yeah. and freaky there there will be a point in between those I know. at some we're, we're point far that, from 
from that. That we that we find some nice uh, robotics that we're all very interested in. But whenever we see the Boston Dynamics stuff, which just looks in, insane, and you know we saw the um, we saw them doing backflips right re- recently. Yeah. Uh, but just uh, very scary and intimidating. But once that sort of merges with the abo uh type friendliness and and cuteness um we could we could be in quite a cool place and i guess a little bit of time will have to pass before it becomes actually affordable as well yeah and look you know i don't i think that you know from as an engineer the you know the tech the technology the technical aspects of making a washer better i'm all on board i just feel like there is a point where where it's not it doesn't seem worth it anymore. And I think that point is, you know, we've reached it in some ways because in, you know, parts of the world right now, people don't really need this, these appliances because they farm this stuff out. And so I think what I was trying to get to is that I think for Samsung and LG, because it's part of their core business to build appliances, you know, home appliances, they, you know, they're continuing to believe that that's what people want. But I think they should also look at the fact that the market doesn't necessarily want that. But what I think is cool that they're doing is, and, and a, there's a, an independent company I saw tonight at Pepcom that showed a uh, laundry folding robot. Um, it's, it's, it's for consumer use. It's $6.99. Uh, it's expensive, and it's about the size of a washing machine. And you, you have to feed it one piece of clothing at a time by picking up two of the corners and putting it in. But it figures out what the item is and it folds it and puts it in in about five seconds. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. And uh, along the same lines, for even more money, LG a few years back showed a laundry folding robot. And now they have a, a basically an ironing robot, but it doesn't use an ironing board and an iron. It steams your clothes in place. So you, you hang these clothes in this fridge size appliance that's like essentially a closet and and it steams them and shakes them while they're on the 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 rack basically and it makes them like presses them basically how much is this oh it's like two grand or something and it's all (laughs) smart and connected and it talks to the washer and the dryer but i can actually see that because i think for a lot of people the instant gratification you know what is still a problem with somebody coming to pick up your laundry and doing it and bring it back is how long it takes one of the advantages of being a washer and dryer at home knowing that i have them is that i can do a load of laundry a simple load in about an hour hour and 10 minutes including the dryer uh very reasonably and that's actually pretty much instantaneous in terms of laundry now this this pressing machine, if you had to get somebody to press your clothes, you wouldn't get the turnaround that this machine can do, which is like 20 minutes or half an hour. So if you're a business person that has a really busy life and you have to wear a suit or something, have your clothes pressed on a regular basis and you have money, I could imagine you might not have a washer and dryer in your house at all. You might farm that out, but you might have that $2,000 LG pressing machine or Samsung, whoever made it. Uh, I think it's LG, but it, it's very cool because that to me is, you know, uh, a use case where I can see people spending the money because they want the speed and the effect, the efficiency of it, and not having to send it out. Mm. Now, I, I mean, just on a, a different perspective on these things, did you see any technology this year or any innovations that are that are focused on 
parts of the world that where there isn't so much money floating around uh you know the majority world developing world type countries i've occasionally seen that at these events but i haven't noticed anything not this so year. much but i think that's something you want to explore at the main event um there's an entire wing uh of the con- the main convention center that's dedicated to um startups from the developing world and they obviously are focused on you know um their their you know, developing countries' needs, right? And and I, but I do see occasionally you do see a startup that's doing something, you know, to to better the lives of people in places where you know having a you know pretty regular power is a st- struggle, right? And 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 I certainly I think we're seeing a lot of that. Um, but it's obviously not as sexy to report about, so you know I think the media don't jump on it. But I see every year I see something about that. It's usually later in the shows. You know, zeitgeist or period of, of reporting. Um, and, you know, for you folks that are listening around going, why, when are we getting to the phones? We'll get to it. Uh, it's not just about the phones. This is CES, so we really have to talk about everything. Uh, and you know what we should talk about at some point is televisions. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen too much things uh, that are, you know, targeting the developing world yet. Though there is always that that flow on right for what starts out as a very expensive product over time comes lower and lower cost and you know we we look at so many technologies we take for for granted now uh, that are very accessible and and of course there is all sorts of technology that is that is being used uh, in in environments where there, there isn't the sort of money to throw around you know personally on things like something to uh, to help make your clothes look a little bit nicer. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest disruptor in the last few years has been the mobile phone. I mean, you can now buy a very, very decent mobile phone for 50 US dollars, uh, 50 to 100 US dollars. That's a lot of money for a developing country still. But you can buy a phone for, I think the cheapest phone that uh, I've ever heard about was $4 US. And I think LG was selling a phone for $10 through Walmart in the U.S. at one point, two or three years ago. In fact, uh, one of the tech, you know, uh, publications reviewed it just, you know, for shits and giggles, as it were. And they said, you know, it's it's not great, but considering $10 buys you something that even if you don't have a cell phone plan, uh, connects to a Wi-Fi at a library and has a web browser that's WebKit based and will let you browse the web uh, pretty much, you know, in a, in a good way and in a reliable and, and you know, working way. Wow, right? And I think that's, you know, I'm always excited about technology. Um, the I, I don't like saying commoditization. In a way it is, but I, 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 the demo, democratization of technology, yes, yeah. it's always exciting to me. You know, like that's why in 2017, I said, you know, the, the Moto E4 um, is probably the best phone that you can buy, f- you know, f- on, on a budget. It's 80 US dollars and it is... It is you're getting about sixty to seventy percent of the experience of a flagship device for one tenth of the price, and that is insane. You know, um, I mean, it's it's basically as good as a mid-range motor was two years ago, and that's that's no small feat. But and, um, and when you and when you think of that, taking that out just another five years, exactly in terms of what will be really low cost and really accessible. 
will be phenomenal. Take it out ten, twenty years, and I mean, I don't think we can we can really imagine quite what I, what, I the, what this, the landscape's going to look know, like. I have this um, bringing things back to mobile. I have this kind of uh, vision slash fantasy slash dream that one day you can walk into a Seven Eleven, when it, wherever it is in the world, and buy a little blister pack tablet device um and it might be as small as a as a big phone today like an iphone 10 uh but it might be as big as um uh you know a, 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 an, an ipad 10 inch ipad um and it'll come in different costs and 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 screen sizes but it's completely not disposable but recyclable and what i mean by that is you buy the device um for ten dollars or five or twenty dollars most and it comes pre-charged and with the technology that exists at this point in my in my vision you can you know you can get like a week's battery life out of a device like that solid use from one charge and it comes with a data plan built in as well so you ubiquity connect ubiquitous connectivity that also depletes over time because there's only so much you get with it and when you deplete either or, you just return it to to Seven uh, Eleven, and you get a recycling fee back, like you know the bottle fees. Yeah, yeah. And you pick up another one, yeah. and and it's got an eing thing on the back that's always on that shows you um, the the how much data is left, how much battery is left. So you you know as you use them, you throw them in a drawer somewhere in your kitchen or in your office. And, you know, your, your grandma comes home and she forgot her laptop or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, let me rummage around. Oh, here's a 10-inch one, which is like half power and three-quarters data. Why don't you use that for the time you're here? And you give it to them. They log in with their Google or whatever. You pick your ecosystem of choice and boom, they're in. And it's just as good as a mid-range devices today. And it's just not frustrating and you're done. And it's, you know, rugged, water resistant. It's just bulletproof and it's cheap and it gets recycled. And what I mean by that is when you drop it off, you get your recycling fee back. But you basically, they recharge it. They, they you know, reset the data on it. There's no ports on it, right? It doesn't have anything. Uh, by that point, I imagine that wireless audio will be pretty ubiquitous. Being able to throw the screen on a larger display, a projector or a TV, like casting it, will be also ubiquitous. And so I think this is something I think we're going to see. And the developing world is going to benefit from um, much more happily than we are. And as such, I think, you know, like the 7-Eleven blister pack idea is really kind of the the main thing here because it's it's you know a model they already have with you know bottled goods right so yeah. i want to see that you know that, if that you're sounds out there cool. that sounds and cool. you I like have a budget and some r&d money and you want to create a startup this is the one to do because i don't think i have the the know-how and or the patience to start this business but i think it'd be great um now you you were mentioning in there just on a on a on a sidetrack um yeah, be waterproof and robust and so on. Have you come across um, Caterpillar doing smartphones? Not at the show yet. They might have a booth uh, at the main show when it starts tomorrow. I haven't received any press releases from them either. Yeah, so but... I got an email from them uh, today. Oh yeah, and I just wasn't even aware that they were they were in this game. But 
you know, they seem to have a number of devices that they've so, already launched yeah, into the market. I reviewed the S60 uh, a year and a half ago when it was first announced. It's the one with the FLIR um, thermal camera in it. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it was a little pricey, but it was very rugged and very uh, dust and water resistant and had a FLIR infrared uh, night vision thermal camera, which mostly thermal is the part. You know, if you're a contractor doing... Uh, you know, house repairs and things like that, or even a, a, a car mechanic, you can use the thermal camera to see hot spots in, uh, you know, like in the wiring of your house or the, uh, you know, the engine of your car and kind of maybe figure out what might be going wrong. And I thought that was really cool. But, you know, the specs were pretty respectable. The only thing that I found was it could be better was the display. Uh, primarily because it was only 720p. But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem was it was a 4.7-inch display. Which today feels absolutely tiny. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, because it had all these uh, ruggedization layers, like uh, crack, you know, crack-resistant screen, you know, made out of, like, uh, lamination, mm. the, the optical properties of that screen were pretty poor. You lost a lot of the quality of the actual panel behind it that I think was actually pretty good. Uh, because of that, and uh, but other than that, you know, it was very interesting. And I don't know if they've come out any new phones since. I think that's the last one they've done. Yeah, so I think I think they do have uh, do have a new one, and I th- you know the info of that will uh, will no doubt come out over the next uh, the ne- next day or two. I'll I'll have a look while we're chatting and see if I can. Uh, Does I it can, still I can have the uh, thermal camera on it? Uh, they've got a model with the thermal camera, and then they've got uh, at least a couple of other uh, models as as well. So, um, yeah, I, I just you know, it's interesting to see uh, a, a brand with the sort of the strength that that, that they have uh, that's you know pivoted their brand in, into smartphones, and they certainly seem to be sticking at it. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be curious whether whether they're still around in this space in a, in a few years' time because it, uh, you know we, we seem to have um, quite a number of brands now that have a reasonably small market share, and really it's this type of differentiation uh, yeah, that's probably going to be needed for uh, for brands to stick about for uh, for a period. But whether they're selling them at high enough prices. Uh, that justifies them, you know, developing these devices and quite how that will work, or whether we, you know, we just end up. If you want a really robust phone, uh, you do as lots of people do today and, and get a, case, a you know, yeah. a, a special case. And uh, you know, there, there will be so many of those uh, shown off at, uh, at 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 CES. Oh my god, uh, cases the, are, cases and headphones right? are always like yeah. overloaded here. Um, but here's the thing, you know, to me, and this is kind of what the takeaway was from a lot of people commenting on my review video on the S60, was that they said, look, it's it is indeed very robust and very you know very. Uh, you know, rugged and water resistant, all that, and dust proof. But you are still only getting a mid range phone for the price of a flagship. And sure, the thermal imaging is cool too. But most people, what they really want is what uh, Samsung offers with the Active line the S8 Active, the S7 Active prior to that, yes. which take a flagship phone with no compromises and ruggedizes and water resists it you know, a little further. And it's sure it's not going to be as rugged and, and, and strong as the cat phones, but at the same time, you, you're going to have a significant improvement in, 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 you know, in strength compared to like the galaxy S8 normal. 
and you're still getting an S8 in terms of performance and features. And I think that has a lot more potential uh, in terms of, you know, you know, marketability, I guess. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the, the product that they were highlighting was the CAT uh, S41, which I think has been in the market now for, uh, you know, prob- probably at least uh, two, two months. So it's not, uh, it's not brand new, uh, although I think it's probably reasonably new in terms of maybe coming into the U.S., uh, market, so uh, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that develops. Yeah, I mean you have to keep in mind that the S sixty I think was sold in the US, but unlocked on Amazon or something. I mean it wasn't like it's not the like, cat is a much more popular brand in Europe. Um, you know they're a British based company for their mobile division. Um, um, let's talk a little bit more about the press conference. So I went to LG, then I went to Hisense, the TV. So I'm kind of segueing into TVs here. Um, Hisense, and then uh, followed by TCL, then Samsung, then Qualcomm. And then I was going to go to Sony, but I somehow had a brain fart, and I was at Mandalay Bay, which is at one end of the strip, and realized that, oh, Sony is at the at the convention center, not at Mandalay, like all the other press conferences. And by the time I realized that, it was not there was no way I was going to make it on time. So I said, well, maybe I should just drop Sony. And, uh, you know, I was invited to others. Like uh, yesterday, I was invited to NVIDIA. Today, I was also invited to Intel. And I just wasn't going to be able to make them all. So I had to pick and choose. Um, so you went to Sony today, and I went to all the other ones. And my takeaway, I already kind of talked about that, what LG and Samsung brought to the table. Like AI, all the things, uh, voice assistant, all the things, you know, uh, appliances galore. In terms of TVs, though, the big, uh, the big takeaway was, uh, you know, of course, 4K HDR is, is pretty much established now. I really reasonable price points, too, which is really cool, I think. But uh, more importantly, um, for LCD TVs, the you know IPS panels, the biggest has been a local contrast control via a very a very uh, uh, localized LED backlighting, uh, which um, is getting more and more you know um, I guess segmented. Like they divide it up into more 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 numbers of backlight elements to get even more accurate uh, rendition of contrast. Which I think is exciting because it brings it closer to OLED. And from what I saw, it looks really good. I still am a bigger fan of OLED, given the choice. And I think LG and Samsung really, particularly LG, really owns that space. But Samsung announced the first LED TV. And what I'm talking about here is individual light-emitting diodes making up pixels. Um, This is the holy grail because it doesn't have the wear out of the organic LED, the OLED. And it is as good contrast ratio and as good power consumption as OLED. And um, it, I didn't even know that that was possible. Right now, the smallest LED you can make, you know, it's good for those gigantic displays. You know, when you get close to them, you can see the individual pixels. You can see those at trade shows all the time. Sure, yeah. But they finally made a home TV where the dots on these LEDs are small enough. And I don't know if they're commercializing it yet or it's something they're just demoing. But to me, that's the future. Now, OLED is definitely going to be a big part of our lives for TVs for a while. Um, but I think IPS is going to go away and OLED and LED, pure LED TVs are going to become the thing. And, you know, you know, so Hisense and TCL both had a lot of, like, improvement on the LCD IPS, localized backlight technologies. Uh, and then... Uh, 
uh, TCL had a big emphasis on their partnership with Roku that they've had for a really long time, and they launched together uh, a soundbar in which they coined the first, the world's first smart soundbar because it has like Alexa and Assistant in it and stuff. But I thought it was interesting because I'm like, really, like, I mean, I know that TCL and Roku have a really strong relationship, but like co-branding something like that, I thought was a bit odd. But hey, whatever, you know. So. What does that deliver? Does it also have the full Roku unit yeah. in it? Yeah. So instead of having all your smarts tied up in your TV, which you might want to keep a little bit longer. But then again, longer, if you have a TCL TV, the can, Roku is already in there. So it's like... But the technology dates. So if you move that out to the sound, sound right. bar, then well, you replace their the idea sound was bar. That maybe. The sound bar might be able to be used for music. That They found that a lot of people use their Roku boxes to stream music. It's true. And the TV is just on as a amplified you don't speaker need it. system. Yeah. So they said if you have a soundbar that also has a Roku in it, now you can choose, you know, one the soundbar can play music while you watch Netflix, but without sound and subtitles maybe. And I mean it was kind of this weird thing, but I mean look, kudos to them. TCL is definitely the fastest growing TV brand in the US. They're super popular and their prices are great and the quality of their product is really high. So, you know, good for them. Um, and, and certainly Samsung, we, we expect them to do to put a huge effort into TVs because it's, it's you know such a big uh, revenue earner for them. That they've always got new high-end things. They also showed off their modular, uh, or they talked about the modular TV concept yeah, yeah, as yeah. well now that really that fascinates me and i'm sure this is not going to be a low cost sort of technology but the idea that you can uh you know basically build up whatever panel size you want up to 146 inch by putting modules together and even you know different uh, uh aspect ratios and so on were possible that's just i mean in some cool. ways lg you know um kind of implied that a little bit with their signature W line last year, which you know was the TV of the show. Three millimeter thin, you literally roll it on the on the wall like wallpaper TV and it's got a flat ribbon cable. There's no electronics in the in the OLED panel and you flat ribbon cable which you can embed behind the, the wallpaper and behind the inside the drywall if you have to. And the sound bar contains all the electronics. Um, in a way that's modular too because you can attach multi, like there's different display sizes that go with the same sound bar. And I think you're right, Samsung's just taking it to another extreme level. Mm. I mean, you know, look, this has been around forever. I remember in the early 80s, drooling over Sony's Trinitron modular system. Do you remember that? They had a Trinitron monitor. It was just a display and different sizes. And then they had these speakers you could mount on the side of it, screw on. There were also different sizes, different amplifiers built in active speakers. And then they had a tuner that was like a, you know, looked like a stereo component. Uh, of course, analog back then. And, you know, they had all these different, they had a VCR and they had a, a separate tuner. So you, the VCR was just a, a dumb, like, mechanism. And then it had a separate tuner for the VCR, which is identical to the other tuner, right? And it, just the way it was connected in the back made it the system completely modular. So you could have a single tuner or a dual tuner. And it is really cool. And we're talking early 80s. And so, you know, we digitize the whole thing, you know, bring it to today's 4K HDR spec level, OLED madness. And why wouldn't Samsung do that, you know? Mm. Um, but I think it was interesting to see, you know, Hisense and TCL are basically newish brands of TVs in the U.S., relatively speaking, compared to the well-established Vizio 
uh, Samsung, LG, and uh, I don't know who else is in the game well, anymore. Well, well, Sony? Sony was certainly showing off some interesting things, and I had a look at a prototype that they they had, which was an 8K TV, but what they uh, highlighted was the the brightness uh, on this was 10,000 nits. And wow. And they put it next to sort of, I think, you know, a fairly top-of-the-line production uh, TV in this uh, somewhat darker um, section of their, their stand. And, boy... But that, do you that, need that, that, that much brightness out of a TV? That's the question. I find that most modern TVs are way too bright. It, well, it looked stunning. It just it looked. It, 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 it did. And uh, and they've been developing, you know, as they always are, the, the chips and the internals. And it used, um, you know, a, a localized uh, backlighting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, 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 the blacks were, were black. And, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is very impressive. So, yeah, it... it it's still a space where there's plenty of work going on for probably the you know the average consumer. We end up getting these things once they're affordable, you know, once yeah, they're affordable, yeah, accessible. Uh, but you know what comes out, even from the lower cost brands, uh, you know, two or three years later, after we see the very you know the very cutting edge becomes very accessible, very low prices and. Yeah, you walk into retailers, uh, certainly here in the US, and you can get an amazing TV for you know. You can get a for a sub really, thousand dollars. No, you can get That's a really huge. good 4K HDR TV in the 15 inch range now for 600 US dollars. It's incredible. It's it's amazing. Um, but um, I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, before we go back to Sony because I want to finish the podcast with the phones you saw. Um, it's funny, ironically, that I did not see any new phones at the show yet, and you did, Paul. Um, but I knew Sony was going to do something. They're really the only ones that are doing anything about phones, as far as I know. Um, so before I t- jump into that, Qualcomm, of course, I was at that press conference after Samsung, and they, um, you know, pretty much rehashed a lot of the things they talked about when I was in Hawaii last month in December. And I would encourage listeners to go back couple of podcasts where I had a Qualcomm executive where we talked about things like Snapdragon 845, which, you know, was announced then, um, Snapdragon um, 835 and 845 running Windows 10, uh, meaning that we're going to start seeing some ultra-thin, ultra-light laptops with built-in LTE that run for 20 hours of battery life, right? Uh, in fact, two of them were announced in Hawaii. Strangely, and, and again, don't take this as uh, as the word, but... I have not seen any announcements uh, by Lenovo or HP or anybody yet of devices here at CS that are Snapdragon-based Windows 10 devices, but maybe I haven't looked very much. Well, it might be that there's still work going on behind the scenes to yeah. make that possible. So My understanding is that, you know, they're... They're going to be more, we're going to look at more at like March, April, May for those. Computex time, I think, is when we're going to see those. But I still like, you know, the ones they announced in Hawaii were, you know, one was a little clunky, was the Asus one, but it was affordable. And then the other one was a detachable, which is not the form factor I like. So I want, what I want to see is like a MacBook Air, Asus Zenbook style, like super thin, super light, eminently portable, LTE based 
Qualcomm Snapdragon Windows 10 laptop and that can really uh, do some decent lifting. Not video game grade, but like, you know, that's that's when I'm going to be excited. Even if it's $1,500, I don't care because my MacBook Air that I'm recording this on right now was a $1,799 fully loaded. No, it's not an Air. It's a 12-inch MacBook. But it, it was fully loaded. And in terms of CPU performance, it's not really that great. So, you know, but I live with it uh, as my travel work computer all the time. So what... Other than the TVs you just talked about, what was and the robot from the Ibo you talked about from Sony earlier? What else did Sony have on 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 the roster for you? So there were some headphones that they showed off, and you know we we used to uh, noise cancelling headphones, and if, you know in fact they they showed some uh, noise cancelling yeah, he- headphones ones. off. Uh, waterproof sort of you know sporty type things uh, that are available in a uh, they don't they don't look like Apple's AirPod but they are are, are in a sort of a, a size that works in a you know in a somewhat similar uh, manner and then there's a variation on that where they are actually connected uh, wired as well so that there's two uh, two variations so uh, you, they were called Xperia ear correct uh, no that one is called the if I've got the product name right the and this is this is what happens with companies like Sony that have to have a model number on everything <laughs> the wfsp 700m now you heard it here first <laughs> now what was uh, more interesting to me and more uh, Unique and and I don't know whether these are how close they are to coming to market. Uh, was a demonstration of the Xperia Air, and I tried that's what you're tried about. these on EAR the Xperia Air, and this is um, uh, a, not quite an in ear uh, type of uh, earbud because they don't really go they don't go into the ear canal and they've got space around them. Uh, so basically, you are hearing the music or whatever it is that you're listening to, but also able to interact in a normal with manner with world. the outside yeah. world, like what you do if there's a you know uh, a speaker in the room playing some music, uh, or if you're sitting at your desk and your computer, you know you're watching something on your computer, but you can also interact with with other people in the room. Now, these will take it a little bit further than just listening to music. They work in, and, and this is still a, I, I, I'm not quite sure where it is from concept to, to being ready for launch, um, but it's designed to work with their, their some of their AI assistant type technology. It will, for instance, read you text messages as they come in, and it can in one ear be playing you music and reading a text message to you in the other ear. Interesting. Uh, you can control it by tilting uh, tilting your head. So if you're listening to some music and you want to go to the next trap, track, uh, then you quickly uh, flex your neck to the right and that will move you to the next track. Or if you want to go back to the previous one, you tilt your head to the Oof. left. I'm, uh, I, I'm not I can sure ima- how reliable that's going to be. Um, oh. I, I tried that. And w- once I was familiar with it, it took me a couple of go. The first time I did it a little bit slowly. But once you, it was just give it a little bit of a flick. It, you know, it picks that up. It also knows when they're in your, uh, in your ears, apparently to do with proximity. And, you know, it's got some way of sensing that they're, you know, that they're, they're both uh, in position. Uh, and they also were were um, 
you had the ability to sort of swipe on them for volume up and down, right, and you know, pause and play and a, and a few bits and bits and pieces. And they're so, independent, right? They're two completely separate units, kind of like AirPods. Yeah, and then they have a have a charging uh, charging Cradle. case. Yeah, yeah. And you know that in itself has some battery to it, but also uh, you know that that plugs in to be to be recharged. So kind of kind of a, a, a curious little mobile, uh, you know, bit of, bit of mobile tech. Uh, and yeah, I, I hope this one, um, you know, that they they work through whatever else they've got to do in developing the software and 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 bring it to market. I mean, I want to see, uh, you know, I find the AirPods are a technological tour de force. I think that for the size and the the, the quality and reliability of the connection, uh, Apple's nailed it. But I'm not enthused with the sound quality. So I actually want to see all the big players, you know, Sony. Like we've seen Bose a little bit now. We've seen um, Samsung and a, a whole bunch of Kickstarted projects, some of them worse than others, that have have or have not been delivered properly. Uh, address the, you know, individual earbud that are completely wireless problem. And But I want, and I'm so I'm here, happy to hear Sony's doing it because I want to see the big brands do it. Like Samsung did it, it was so-so. Maybe they're Gen 2. You know, a lot of things with Samsung take two or three Gens to really develop. And and I want to see, you know, uh, Bowen and Wilkins. I want to see all these other brands um, do it and do it right. And that way we have variety. That way I'm not stuck with AirPods for the best experience. I have other best experiences. And I'm not stuck with Sony for the best sound quality, but I can go to someone else and get the best sound quality as well. There, there was one thing, and I don't know if you if you saw this at any of the events, but it was uh, a wristband that you would put on, and you touch your ear, and it has bone conduction. Yeah, yeah, a bone conduction I've heard about this of, product. Uh, I think it was crowdfunded, and it's funny yeah. because the the band has a microphone in it, so they didn't do the microphone with bone conduction, but they only did the speaker. So the idea is your phone is in your pocket, it's paired to this band. The band is also step tracker and stuff, and. When you want to pick up the phone, you you touch it or you do a gesture or something and it picks it up and you put your index finger kind of right against your your conch, the part of your ear that's the little flap of ear that sticks out in front of your ear canal and it, you know, touches your bone and it resonates through your bone and it's it, it's a very proven technology. But the problem I have with that is, number one, uh, bone conduction still doesn't sound as good and as loud as other technologies. Number two, uh, why not just pull out your phone or have an air uh, have AirPods, which are phenomenal, right? I mean, other than the sound quality, you know, I don't know. I think it's cool, but like you know, somebody also I, did, I a, ring. That, I somebody did a ring. Somebody did a ring version of that as well. I think there's a there's a little bit of a market for this and. Uh, you know, if you if you've ever used a a smartwatch to have you know have a conversation that's kind of clunky, yeah, this seems to me like a like an improvement on that without having to wear something in your ears. So yeah, uh, I, I don't know. See that. I'm, I'm, uh, um, I think the ring one was interesting because it's not a band; it's just a ring. You know, yeah, you're just wearing a ring like this, and then you put it in your thing in your ear. Ah, uh, well, well, I'm sure we'll see more. I mean, again. This is being recorded. When you get this podcast, it might be day two or three of CS. But, you know, this is being recorded day zero, the day before it actually starts. And and there is more that we're going to run into. And I will try to podcast a second time this week, um, probably with a team of the journalists that I know, 
just for fun, and uh, we'll we'll bring you the rest of it. But um, it is it is closing in on midnight as we record, so we're coming towards the the end of the day. What else did you want to chat th- chat through? Did let's you want to talk quickly, about these new phones? About these phones, I mean, they you know they're not super new in the sense that we knew they were coming, um, and they're mid rangers, so they're not that exciting. You you got to see them play with them. What's your quick take? On, yeah, so all, t- tell us what they're called. So had a had a play with the Xperia XA two and XA two Ultra. As you say, mid range phones. I think in the US at the moment, they're uh, they're XA ones. Uh, yeah, recommended sort of retail prices. I think maybe three nine nine. Okay. Uh, US and so they're refreshing that line. It it is uh, I guess not that common to get a whole lot of phone announcements at CES, right? Not anymore. Um, but you know, and that- Sony is kind of unobtainium in the US. Like I I know that the Europeans listen to this and the Asian uh, folk listening to this right now are laughing because they're like course you can buy sony phones anywhere well no not here i mean they're sold unlocked in the u.s by certain retailers like amazon but they're very very like they're they're like if you find someone using a sony phone and you're not at a trade show and they're like not a foreign journalist like just walking down the street you find some random person with an xperia phone that's a unicorn in the u.s okay that's funny because i i really quite enjoy the uh the the xperia uh handsets now, one thing that I have liked, which I don't think has been available in the U.S., and we could probably go down a, a tangent as as to why, uh, is this the power button fingerprint uh, yeah, reader yeah. on the on the side of the Sony's. But uh, you know, in New Zealand where I'm based, that's one of the capabilities. And and you know, my wife uh, uses one of the Sony Xperias, uh, and and I enjoy getting a chance to use it from time to time. But Anyway, they've put a fingerprint reader on the back of the XA2. So that's something they added they didn't have in the previous generation. Um, they've gone to 4K video. And, yeah, just overall, it's, it feels quite um, quite close to a, a sort of a premium higher-end What's the display hand, size hand, and hand, is it, handset? Is it bezel-less or is it like... Well, this this is like this that. is interesting because they they talk about uh, and they didn't use the, the term bezel-less, but they they used a, a, a similar sort of uh, term. And yes, on the you know on the sides, it's uh, it's very similar to other uh, other other phones like the iPhone ten in terms of you know how close the screen gets to uh, to the edge, but the top and bottom, um, you know. Far, far from it. Uh, yeah, I you know, see it's that. it's not the uh, the sort so of aspect 16, ratio that it's a 16 we're. Nine, it's a standard I, aspect I, ratio. I, 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 Do they tell I you the screen so. sizes? Four point two inches or five point two? Yeah, so Both um, I think they're uh, 1080p. Uh, dis- oh, it's display. six inches for the X for the XA2. Yeah, Ultra, and so. they've stepped up because they did have a 720p panel on on the on last those, model. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, there are plenty of you know, top phones now that are either 1080p or or not much more, right? right. So, I mean, I think we're seeing pretty good, uh, pretty good specs in their uh, 3300 milliamp hour batteries. So, you know, these are these are a reasonably good uh, device for um, for the money. Dual uh, cameras on the front and a single um, camera on the on the rear. Um, with optical image stabilization, I think just on the uh, on the, the main on one. the on the main. What about uh, the L two? Yeah. What's that? 
Um, I didn't uh, didn't really have uh, too much of a look into the L2. Um, I think that were that was another sort of step down, being a you know a, a lower end uh, lower end device. But they did also announce that, but they weren't really there wasn't right. a whole lot of noise about that. Um, and I'm not even sure they probably did have it on display, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I I well, didn't I'm really have a, by have their a look. booth and have a look. Um, I wanted to quickly add because I just realized after I went to uh, unveil yesterday, I went to a um, a Honor press conference, not Huawei. Honor, the other brand that Huawei makes. I know it's complicated because. It's so confusing. Honor and Huawei, two brands from the same company that make phones, and they have different demographics and different, you know, tar- market marketing targets. But it's very confusing. I personally think that the Honor brand shouldn't be a brand; it should be a range within Huawei, and and Huawei should be the master brand. That's my I opinion. Agree. I agree. But but uh, Honor had an event, and they announced officially the V10, uh, the V10, whatever it's called. And uh, apparently it has some sort of face recognition that's similar to what's on the OnePlus 5T. So not used for, probably not used for uh, Android Pay, which by the way, today got uh, officially renamed Google Pay. Yes. Um, so so as a, a news record right there. Uh, so not as, uh, not probably likely to work with Google Pay, but um, likely to unlock your phone. So very similar and it's it's based, it needs light. So it's based very much like the OnePlus 5T on ambient light. It does uh, turn on the screen though to give it a bit of light as well. Um, interesting, but um, they announced, so they made that official. I did a you know I did a hands on with that phone back in November or something. Uh, look on my YouTube channel, you'll see uh, you'll see that, and I'll link it in the show notes. But um, they also announced the uh, uh, Honor Seven X, which is a really fantastic, less than two hundred dollar phone, um, mid ranger uh, in red, new color, and then they finally. Um, Talked a little more about something they're working on for future Honor devices, which I'm sure parent company Huawei is working on for future Huawei devices, which is a a pure face ID competitor. Now, it's not using the same uh, infrared uh, matrix projection as uh, the iPhone, which is basically a miniaturized connect, but it's using it is using some sort of depth sensing with infrared. Um, you know, uh, measuring depth uh, by projecting something. And so it'll be interesting. I have, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but I really do have a hunch that 2018 is going to be the year where the big players, Huawei, Samsung, possibly LG, are going to come out with phones that directly compete um, with Face ID in terms of uh, actually being able to be used with Google Pay and being a secure technology and a reliable technology. Because you know how it is. Apple does it first and everybody uh, else scrambles to catch up at that point. And I'm not saying that as a fan. Or, or they do it right. But, you know, exactly. Because, because they don't we do have... it first, they do it right. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. So, yeah. Anyway, we should probably wrap it up. Um, I want, you know, for people who don't know who you are, can you tell them where you can they can find you on on Twitter or on the internet? Yeah, where can, your podcast is located. I can just be tracked down on Twitter, Paul Spain. I put up uh, videos on uh, on Facebook and on LinkedIn too. So those are uh, you know places to find me. Uh, my podcast, my main podcast at the moment, New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, probably not of huge interest to people outside of New Zealand. The new project I'm working on is called Disruption Playbook. That's at disruptionplaybook.com. And 
that is all about talking to people that are innovating, coming up with dis- disruptive technologies, also talking to a few uh, people that have been in companies that have been disrupted and talking about those stories. How do we get from here to, to the next place? And what are the techniques that the companies that are succeeding are doing? What are the techniques that people have tried that maybe aren't working? And it's, a, it's an area I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated in. Um, so that's my new project that will be launching over the next few months. Congratulations. That sounds awesome. I look forward to it. Um, you guys know where to find me. I'm Tanker on Twitter. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character, but drop the vowels. And uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Miriam Joir. That's M-Y-R-I-M. Uh, my full name, but with a Y. And then, uh, um, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to this podcast. If you're hearing this somewhere and you don't know how to get to it, mobiletechpodcast.com. You'll find the RSS feed there. We're also on iTunes and Pocket Cast. So look for us, search for us there. And thanks for being on, Paul. It was really, really nice to have you on us again, because technically you did episode zero with me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, it's been enjoyable. It's always great to uh, to catch up when I'm here in the in the US. Maybe one day we'll see you down in New Zealand. I would love to come. I've never been and I really want to go sometime. So we'll have to make it happen somehow. Cool. All right, folks. We'll talk to you next week or later this week with more CS, hopefully. Cheers. See ya. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.